Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, listeners, excited to bring you a very special episode of the London is Blue podcast. We've got a special one in the sense of Nick and Dan are here, which is lucky to have, but... Gentlemen, if you remember back on a mild London night on the 22nd of September, Chelsea had just lost to Liverpool 2-1. Respectfully, though, it was a respectable performance. Um, there we were on the pitch, pitch side at Sanford Bridge. Going to go talk to Premier League TV. And as we walk by, none other than the NBC Sports Desk is there. You hear a very familiar voice, the, the official voice of soccer in America, it was Arlo White, uh, Graham Lasso, Lee Dixon, everyone at the table. We ended up catching eyes with Arlo, greeted him, and fast forward, Arlo, you are on the show. We are so excited to have you. Welcome to the London Is Blue podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure, guys. I'm just delighted that you survived Oktoberfest, which I think you were, from memory, you were flying out to the following day. So you survived Oktoberfest and you've lived to tell the tale, which is awesome. By the skin of our teeth, really. Um, <laughs> not, not, not by much more than that. Um, we, we had, it was nice that you were able to give us some friendly tips on our way out. And, uh, and perhaps those are the things that helped us uh, make it through. <laughs> Dan, it was a, a fun time. Uh, we even got a photo pitch side with everyone there. Um, but look at this. We roll in from, from that. We we exchange you know information right away. Arlo was so generous with his time. 
Um, what else do we have going for everyone today? It's going to be a good one. Yeah, we've got uh, plenty of conversation around uh, commentary. So what Arlo does for a living uh, and not an easy job by any means. So we want to get a little bit of details from him and then also spend some time uh, getting his thoughts on Chelsea as well. But yeah, for those who don't know, obviously Arlo, lead play-by-play announcer for NBC's Premier League coverage from the 2013-14 season forward. Uh, and then some might recognize him as the voice of the Seattle Sounders, uh, my hometown. And uh, yeah, so that's a, a very kind of cool uh, connection there as well. Right. So right away, Arlo, we have a, a message or a question from Chase. He says, what was the biggest adjustment that you had to make when you came from announcing MLS in the United States now mm. moving to the Premier League over in England? Well, that's a good question. I, I don't think I had to adjust it too much at all because the mantra uh, both in the uh, with the Seattle Sounders, which was an amazing couple of uh, seasons. I wish it could have been longer, to be honest with you. But the the opportunity came up to to go to NBC and to front the coverage for Major League Soccer nationally, and also experience the Olympic Games. But but the mantra from both organisations was be authentic, and you know that's what I've always tried to be. You know, it, there might be a few words that you can throw in like locker room instead of changing room, uh, that sort of thing. But by and large, they wanted me to broadcast the game of football in the way that I, I'd done at home. So um, so when it came to coming to the Premier League, that didn't really change too much. Um, one of the aspects that I, that I really enjoyed about working for Major League Soccer, well, working in Major League Soccer for NBC and the Sounders, was that we had these amazing production meetings with players and coaches. So coaches, um, you know, incredibly, would give us the starting 11s the day before a game, which just wouldn't happen in Europe. It certainly doesn't happen in the Premier League. But we get to to pick the coaches' brains about what they were tr- going to try and do the next day. They trusted us with that information. Um, we were true to that. Um, and we got some great info that I was able then to feed into the broadcast. Now, of course, we don't get that sort of access in the Premier League. Um, you know, uh, starting 11s are kept under wraps until an hour before. We sometimes get a few steers here and there. Uh, but I, I tend to, t- I've taken that method uh, and that style into Premier League was by just reading transcripts of, of the press conferences or picking up some useful quotes from managers and players throughout the week. Because I'd rather the protagonists in the game tell the story um, or, or certainly tell the story through their words and attitudes uh, than, than to try and... Um, editorialize myself and, and it's it's something that picks up in major league soccer and it's certainly well in the premier league so when you kind of think about that match preparation that you're just talking about you know you shared some wonderful photos of the the match boards you do and the, i think our kind of thought is wondering just how much preparation or behind the scenes goes into getting ready for each individual match that you uh, that you call i'd say ideally between eight and ten hours per game but the thing is you can do as little or as much preparation for a game as you want. Some some commentators like to to go in with with very little by way of statistics um, and storylines. I don't feel that way, and I don't want to, a, a call at the same time just to be a shopping list of stats and appearances and goals and assists and that sort of thing. So you have to have a happy medium. What I what I prepare for is the world's worst nil nil draw, and I've got a little bit of <laughs> stuff, stuff on the match board that might try and liven it up a little bit. If it's a three two, if it's a three three, if it's a cracking game, then there's no need to use you know more than ten or fifteen percent of what's on the match board. But also, each team has a possible twenty five players that could 
could score the winning goal on any given match. So you've got to know about each individual player. And obviously the stats and the storylines from each individual player changes each week. So you're looking at doing two games every weekend. Uh, that's upwards of 100 players. You know, I put the match boards out on Instagram and Twitter. I have this uh, sticker system that I'm a slave to. Uh, I should be getting massive sponsorship from Avery Labels and uh, <laughs> Stabilo Highlighters. I mean, I can't get enough of them on my uh, on my Instagram feed and I've had nothing from them whatsoever. Uh, but that's, that's the system I use. Every commentator has a different system. We, we're all quite nerdy at heart um, uh, and we all lo- love what we do. But, but we want to be prepared. And again, it's a it's about telling the story authentically rather than being vague and generalizing. I'd rather be specific and accurate. So that's what drives me on. I'm, I'm, I'm in a cafe here in the East Midlands of England um, doing my stickers, updating my information for Norwich City against Liverpool on Saturday. And I can't wait. And, and, the, and the, the research is part of the process. And that's what I, that's what I enjoy the most. But I, I am relieved, I must say, when that process ends and I get to sit on the gantry, put the microphone to my mouth and actually do my day job. Um, during the week, it's more like a data input job. So I actually love the broadcasting aspect. But, uh, but without that work during the week, I don't think the calls uh, are as effective. Who has been the most difficult name to pronounce for you? Oh, oh, gosh. Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, who do I always have problems with? Funnily enough, Dayan Lovren. I keep calling him Dejan, and ah. I get in my ears. I get in my ear, friendly reminder, Arlo, it's Dejan. And then on the conference call, Arlo, remember this weekend, it's Dejan, and you can guarantee the first time he kicks the ball or heads the ball, I'll say Dejan. <laughs> so it's, it's just a mental block. I'm working on it. I'm walking around, I'm walking around the kitchen for the next couple of days saying Dejan, Dejan. So hopefully I'll get it right on Saturday. Well, another one from our listener, Chad. Uh, he was so thrilled that we get to talk to you. And he says, you are superb at your job. I never feel like there is an ounce of bias in your commentary. This is a rare feat in your business these <laughs> days. Not even your color guys are completely immune. How do you do it? Well, I, I saw Chad's tweet and I, and I appreciate the sentiments very much indeed. I, I think football commentators often get a bad rap. Um, we are describing uh, some what could be the greatest moments of, of your team. Uh, in the Premier League uh, or other competitions. But we're also describing if you go through a bad run of form or a, a, a bad season or bad experiences. And I think our voices sort of get associated with with various um, eras of teams. So, for example, Arsenal have been in decline pretty steadily since we took the rights. And uh, for some reason, there's a pocket of Arsenal fans who think I hate Arsenal. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I'm, I'm, I don't, I, I, I'm neutral. I'm completely neutral when it comes to Arsenal. I respect the institution, you know. Um, I respect the, the institution of Chelsea, of Liverpool, of Manchester United, because I don't support any of the big teams. I can look at them um, objectively. And, and having worked for the BBC for, for 10 years and NBC for what now, eight or nine, nine years, I think it is, um, objectivity is drilled into us, and, and I think one of the one of the the, the best aspects, or, or what I'm most proud of in my career, is Leicester City, my team, you know, my city, winning the Premier League title, and not one person accusing me of being biased during the during the games and during that run. Now, um, did I get excited? Of course I did, because it was such an incredible story. But I was telling it from from both sides, from you know both teams' perspective on any given day. 
Um, and when you when you do this for a job, when when you are professional at it, you are objective when you pick up a microphone. You're not there as a fan. You're not wearing a scarf. You're, you're not thinking as a supporter. You're thinking as a broadcaster and how to tell the tale the tale of the game evenly. Uh, between both teams. Now, if one team happens to be dominating the game and wins 5-0, of course, you're going to be full of superlatives for that team and maybe a few negatives come out about the team that's getting shellacked on that given day. It doesn't mean you don't like them. It just means they played really badly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice that, that Chad feels that I'm neutral and, and not biased. I don't think as many commentators are as biased as people think. Um, it's just that people view broadcasts through the prism of their own team and if they if they hear things they don't like sometimes they assume it's because the commentator doesn't like them when in reality the commentator i think is just doing his job or her job so if you think about uh one event that you haven't had a chance to call yet uh, you know you've you've obviously been involved in in world cup type of production you've had a chance to be involved heavily within the premier league and mls i would say uh, a world cup final would be absolutely pinnacle i think um uh, it, it's unfortunate that you know NBC uh, are out of the mix for World Cups for the foreseeable future. You know, I think it looks like um, Fox have them tied up, and they do a great job, so good for them. Um, but, but but I think you know, like just like uh, players and coaches and anyone, and even fans. I mean, to 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 be there at a World Cup final to convey it to to an American audience, I think would be would be the pinnacle at some point. You know, I'm still relatively young in in broadcasting terms, so so who knows? You know, one day that may. Uh, come to pass. I've, I've commentated on World Cups in stadiums uh, for BBC Radio and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, so hopefully one day I'll get to do the big showpiece and, and ideally it would be for, for an American audience. That'd be awesome. A career highlight. By the way, when you've called Leicester to the Premier League title, that's hard to top. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. One of the questions we have, Arlo, is you know we're, we're thinking about, you know, you're an inspiration to us as, as as our own little mini broadcast team on the podcast, but who are you learning from? Who are your role models? You know, who helped you along your your journey to to improve your craft over the years? Well, generally, I suppose it, it would it would be British commentators. When I was growing up, there's a guy called Barry Davis who's in his late seventies now. He's he's retired. Um, I met him a number of times. Uh, an inspirational guy, such a lovely, erudite, intelligent, gentle man who. Uh, in every sense of the world, word, who was good at different sports. I mean, he was hugely prominent as a, as a soccer commentator on the BBC in the 70s, well, 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, he alternated with John Moxon doing FA Cup finals and World Cup finals. But he also was, was equally adept at tennis. Uh, he was a big voice during the Olympic Games. Um, and having worked with him, sometimes they say, don't meet your heroes, but I, I just wasn't disappointed. He was, he was wonderful. And, and, and you can ask him anything and he advised. And he actually said he'd listened to some of my my stuff and and really rated me as a broadcaster which meant the absolute world to me uh so barry davis is one guy you know martin tyler who is the doyen um still going strong for sky sports and, and premier league production so i think he does the monday night games uh over on nbcsn so he, he is just wonderful to talk to and to pick his brains and his vast knowledge of the game every weekend and again he's just in a press room he's just delighted and happy to sit and talk football and broadcasting um, so he's absolutely fantastic. In terms of American announcers, I, I've got a lot of time for for Joe Buck, but I also, my hero in terms of American broadcasting is Al Michaels. Uh, Sunday Night Football, he and Chris Collingsworth and Michelle Tafoya, I think are the best trio um, in sports broadcasting, not just uh, in America, but in the world. I just think they are absolutely outstanding. Al's voice 
is synonymous to me with with the NFL, with uh, with with sports broadcasting. He's amazing, um, and it'll be a sad day when he retires. So hopefully that won't be for a long time yet. Again, I met him. He was wonderful, and once told me in the in the booth at the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey ahead of a Sunday night football broadcast that he'd once commentated on a semi-final and a final of British Rugby League for ABC's oh, Wide World wow. of Sports. And I couldn't believe it. And I still haven't found, I don't know whether any of your listeners might have a copy of it, but I would love to hear Al Michaels in the 1980s commentating on Rugby League. So if there's a copy of it out there, please let us know. That would be an interesting journey, uh, but they are <laughs> crushing it. You've definitely picked some big hitters, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and talking about NBC family, uh, you know, us as a podcast, we've given the network an immense amount of credit for really taking the coverage of the Premier League to a new level that I don't think any of us in the United States thought was possible. But along the way, I'm sure you've had some fun or shenanigans with your three-man booth mates, maybe with Rebecca, Kyle, and the two Robbies, maybe even the men in blazers. Something <laughs> funny that stood out along the way? Uh, I think it's just generally the banter. I think from day one, We've all got along like a house on fire. You know, there's a huge distance between us, but but when we get together at the start of a season, you know, uh, there, there are a few shenanigans. Um, you know, Earl, Earl, um, he can party. You know, he can go late into the night. Uh, you know, Kyle, when you when you you can't walk past a, a piano without sitting down and playing some tunes on it. Rebecca's laugh, I think, is is infectious. Um, you know, Musty just is one of the funniest blokes you'll ever meet in your life, and. And, and Graham and Lee, from the moment we walk into the Winnebago on a weekly basis, I mean, you have to come armed with your banter because if 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 you're weak or having a bad day, you will get killed in that Winnebago <laughs> because the band. I mean, these guys have come through, you know, tough dressing rooms at Chelsea and at Arsenal, and they are on their game. They know what they're doing. So it's survival of the fittest. I think I've developed quite a thick skin over the last few years. Um, but they do it, you know, with, with a real sense of friendship. Um, and there's nothing, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all meant in the best possible taste and, and, and with love and friendship. But we, I've never laughed as much with any group of people than I do with our Saturday and Sunday afternoon team on site. They are absolutely hilarious, and they can take it as well as they can, and as well as they can give it. <laughs> well, that is the work of a consummate professional, and uh, yeah, I think uh, another individual that we view as a bit of a consummate professional, uh, both as a player and now as a manager, uh, Frank Lampard, in his first season at Chelsea. How have you felt about his transition, and uh, maybe the matches you've had a chance to call uh, at either Stamford Bridge or watching Chelsea in person this season? I think the, the the most impressive performance that I saw of, of the this latest iteration of the Chelsea team under Frank is, or was the the Spurs away game. Now I I, I know Chelsea have been maddeningly inconsistent this season, but they are in fourth place, and and I tell you, Manchester United fans and Arsenal fans would swap in a heartbeat with what what Chelsea have managed to achieve with a very young side this year. I sat down with Frank for an inside the mind at the start of the season. He's just an impressive guy. Um, he gets the media. He's intelligent. Again, he's erudite. He speaks about the game with 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 huge football IQ. There's no there's no you know you can't question his career. He was an, an amazing footballer, and it was his dedication to his craft that shone through when he was he was a player. And it's likewise as a manager. Now 
you know, it, did it need the perfect storm of circumstances for him to get the job after only one year as a full-time manager at Derby County? Yes, you know, the Maurizio Sarri experiment didn't quite work out. The, the, the fans were disgruntled with the style of play, but he was able to walk away um, under his own volition, having won a European trophy and having qualified, got to a cup final domestically and qualified for Champions League. So it's rare that a Chelsea manager walks away on their own terms, having had that sort of success, uh, in, in spite of the fact that he wasn't particularly popular. Um, then we had the transfer ban that was subsequently lifted, but you know, uh, any prospective manager was faced with two transfer windows without being able to sign a player, which is, which is, you know, that's a huge um, disadvantage. Um, you know, it, it, in trying to get um, Champions League football and finish in the top four in a very competitive league. So in came Frank, uh, and it was just right, the right thing at the right time and the right manager to bring through this plethora of exciting young players. So with young players comes a little bit of inconsistency. But I'm really impressed with the way that Frank has gone about his business. Um, and when, when Chelsea click, they are fantastic. When they don't, it's maddening. At home to Bournemouth, at home to Southampton, really at home to West Ham, really bad results and not scoring at home as well against those teams was inexcusable in many respects. But then you do see the big performances, like the narrow defeat against, uh, against Liverpool that you mentioned. Uh, you guys were there for that one. But the Spurs away... Um, tactically I thought was a masterclass and he's got some very good players and if he gets a transfer window in, under his belt where there's there's a real war chest of money to spend I think next season is going to be very exciting for Chelsea with potentially Champions League football as well well that that would be the ideal scenario um, speaking of uh, the the youth talent obviously the likes of Tammy Abraham Mason Mount Fikayo Tamori Callum Hudson-Odoi Reese James all of these players have made an impact for for Chelsea this year how how impactful, you know, or I guess pick one. Is there one that kind of stands out to you from that class that, that has really stood out to you as, as you've been watching? I think in the early part of the season, Tamori stood out for me. I mean, it's obvious that Mason Mount has um, a wonderful array of skills um, and passing range and an eye for a goal. Tammy Abraham has done superbly leading the line in his first season effectively as a Premier League footballer. Tamori, to me, looks like he's got everything for a defender pace he reads the game wonderfully he's going to be a top top centre-back for, for both Chelsea and for England for many years to come who, who I'm really interested to watch develop and who's kind of come into the into the starting 11 slightly later in the season is Rhys James um, that man is an absolute beast um, he is he's confident he's self-assured He's skillful. He's powerful. He's got everything. And maybe, maybe eventually he, he's a holding midfielder. It remains to be seen. Uh, but at right back at the moment, he has been absolutely superb. And he's only going to get better. So out of that very exciting uh, group of uh, young players that you've mentioned, and you could, you could really make a strong case for all of them. Uh, but at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching Reese James play. So obviously we are wildly biased with the Christian Pulisic hype train that exists. Mm. You have a very interesting angle that you are in touch with the American audience, but obviously you're living over in the UK. Uh, and from your perspective, what has Christian's impact been not only on Chelsea, but maybe the Premier League and your coverage at NBC? Well, he's obviously a player that we are delighted to have in the Premier League. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to go overboard, but naturally there's going to be 
an interest in a in you know arguably the greatest ever American player. Although I think he has a bit of work to do. He's almost the greatest American player in waiting, but it has to fulfil his potential. I think you know the likes of Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, Brian McBride. I think those guys you know had solid solid careers. Um, but Christian's on his way, and. You know, sometimes, you know, the reaction on Twitter after a game is, oh, you keep going on about Christian Pulisic. I don't care about him. I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm a Man United fan, you know, living in America. Okay, that's fine. But uh, but I tell you what, there'll be kids of six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve across the United States, regardless of what team they support, who are watching with bated breath at everything that Christian Pulisic does. And he is there to inspire a generation of young soccer players and soccer fans across the United States, regardless of what team they support. And naturally, I think more more youngsters will gravitate towards Chelsea uh, as a result of, of him being signed and, and playing in the first team. Now, you know, I think that's part part of the strategy for Chelsea in investing the amount of money and time that they have in Christian Pulisic. He's, I've sat down with him again for an insider mine. He's a quiet guy, fairly unassuming, doesn't necessarily bask in the spotlight, um, that's that's uh, that, that's sort of shone his way, um, but he just wants to get on with business, and he he loves the game of football. Frank, I think, uh, put him in early in the season, didn't quite work out. He got him on the training ground, he, he he drilled him for a few weeks, then he returned and he started scoring goals. And we were there at Turf Moor for the perfect hat trick as well, which was an amazing moment because it coincided with the Austin Fan Fest as well. So there were what ten thousand people watching. Uh, live in Austin and it was just I mean you couldn't have scripted it any better for him to start the game and score left foot right foot header as well it was just brilliant and then unfortunately of late he suffered from a from a few injuries but you know Frank clearly rates him Frank knows the pressure that's on him he's aware of the American market he's aware of the expectation that's on Christian uh, and he's going to help him through it. So I think the future for Christian at Chelsea is very, very bright. Well, we will take that and run with it, although we are on the same page. Um, anyways, you've been so gracious with your time. We want to wrap up with one thing that we like to do with our guests, and that's a, a rapid-fire section. So you don't have to spend a lot sure. of time on these. Uh, okay. pro- they might be a little lighthearted, maybe not as much, but uh, this is the the last thing we've got for you today. So... In the first one, in your opinion, which you can't be wrong, what is the uh, best Premier League team ever? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay, until the end of the season, I'm going to have to say Manchester City's uh, Centurions. Totally fair. What is your favorite match that you have called for NBCSN uh, over the years? Chelsea 2, Spurs 2, Monday night, the Battle of Stamford Bridge, Eden Hazard. Ooh. Curls it into the top corner, Leicester with the title. Amazing night. Uh, obviously, I think Liverpool is probably number one here, but the top four at the end of the season for you are going to be? I think Liverpool will shade the title by uh, a narrow margin of 25 <laughs> points, followed by, followed by Manchester City, followed by Leicester City, followed by Chelsea. Oh, I'd take Ooh. it if we could right now. Um, yeah. How would you describe these teams with one word? The first one being Liverpool. Dominant. Chelsea. Transitional. City? Wobbling. Wolves? Resurgent. Sheffield? Shocking. Arsenal? <laughs> Declining. And Leicester? Amazing. Ah, there it is. <laughs> the bias comes out. Yeah, uh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. The... Uh, we know that there are a ton of, of great minds in the Premier League right now. Which current Premier League player would you tap to be the next great uh, Premier League manager? Oh, what a really, really good question. Um, 
Wow. Let me have a think about that. Um, it might be somebody like Jordan Henderson or maybe a, maybe a Virgil van Dyke. Um, there's a lot of football intelligence in that, in that, in that Liverpool team. I'm trying to think somebody of somebody from Manchester City who might be able to step up. I mean, Vincent company, you know, he's just, he's just gone into player management in Belgium, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe those two are the, are the guys that spring to mind. Um, yeah, I'd have to stick with those for now. So what's your favorite sport that is not uh, soccer for us or football for you? Well, I commentated on cricket for a long time um, for, for the, the BBC. Um, it will never catch on in America. Uh, the, the, the purest form of the game <laughs> can, can take five days of eight hours a day play and can still end in a draw. So I don't think that's going to catch on in America somehow. Um, but, but cricket is an amazing sport. And I, and I have a, a real deep love for NFL dating back to the to the late 80s. And I'm a major Bears fan. And, and I've commentated on five Super Bowls as well. So I'd like to do that again in the future if I get the opportunity. Lampard, Gerrard or Scholes? Goodness me. Um, <laughs> oh, dear me. Lampard. No, no further questions asked. Yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was an all-round threat, and I'm just so impressed with, with, with him as a, as a person and with his dedication to his craft. He's a really impressive guy. All right, this will be good because if you spent time in Seattle, American weather or British weather? <laughs> oh, American weather. Even Seattle weather over British weather any day of the week. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, like, uh, I, like, I like to hear that. <laughs> at least the sunshine in the summer in, in Seattle. Even here, I mean, it's just it's just different levels and shades of grey cloud, uh, and it just it gets you down. So we all have to get abroad at some point for a bit of vitamin D down to Spain or somewhere just to recharge ourselves. Uh, so you mentioned your uh, obviously love of Chicago sports. Uh, which one of those teams—Cubs, White Sox, Bears, or Bulls—will win a? title next well it won't be the white Sox. uh i don't i don't know enough about i don't know enough about basketball to say it'll be the bulls uh i'm not convinced in mitch trubitsky unfortunately uh particularly as we could have had patrick mahomes in the in the draft where we traded up one place gave up a first round draft pick but hey you know in mitch we trust etc so i'm gonna have to say the cubs cubs okay uh, you lived in Seattle for, for a few years there. Uh, what is your favorite restaurant in Seattle for our foodie friends? I used to love, I, I lived in South Lake Union. I used to love Chandler's. I was never massively into, into sort of exotically expensive seafood until I started doing a radio show on, on KJR uh, with Mike Gastineau and in the afternoons and he used to pay me in Chandler's vouchers and I used to take them down there and uh, just lavish myself with, with king crab and lobster and it was absolutely amazing uh, on a nice day on the deck by South Lake Union just beautiful great memories all right last one from the rapid fire section overall American food or British food American food every day of the week I mean if I literally didn't have to eat another meal over here that would be fine by me. I could, I, I mean, you know, it has improved over the years. I'm, I'm kind of joking slightly, but there is just no substitute for American cuisine. It is absolutely sensational. And, and it's part of the reason why I come back every year. It's, it's, it's so many experiences that I love about America, but the culinary, uh, the breadth of experiences you can have is just fantastic. Well, awesome. I'd say you successfully navigated the rapid fire section arlo thank you <laughs> thank you for playing the game with us 
Oh, you're welcome, guys. Anytime. Anytime. All right. Well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, gentlemen, I think we've covered on pretty much everything we could today. But Arlo, thank you so much again for hanging out with us. Join us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're so excited uh, to have you leading the broadcast, um, you know, charge for us over here in America. So again, thank you. And you have so much support from the audience, not only of Chelsea, but other teams in the United States. So hopefully you can take that with you and keep up the amazing work. Well, guys, thank you very much. You know, it's it's lovely to touch base with with our audience. Um, we we send our calls out into the ether across the uh, across the ocean to a different continent. Um, um, so it's always lovely to keep in touch and to, and to talk to fans and, and viewers of what we do. So I appreciate the support very much. And if you're ever at a Chelsea game again and we're there, come and say hello. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to American fans. So uh, good luck with the, the rest of the season, chaps. And, and anytime you need me, you know where I am. Awesome. Well, thank you, Arlo. Everyone go tweet at him. Say thank you how much you enjoy the episode. But that'll do it for us Chelsea fans. Until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.